You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to another episode of Addicted to Growth. And today I'm super excited to sit down with Richard Moore, who's coming to us from the UK. And, um, you know, I'm just super excited to chat with you today, my man, because there's so many things that that we're going to chat about today. Taekwondo, sales, growth, business. Um, So welcome to the show, Richard. You're very welcome, man. It's nice to uh, catch up with you all. And I'm just being complaining a bit about the heat but it's nice to be distracted with a good conversation with you guys so thanks a lot for having me of course man of course and and, and i guess the, the first question for for people listening like would you mind sharing us a quick a quick <laughs> a quick background uh on you and kind of where you came from and how you got to where you are today sure absolutely um so rich Moore and um i uh the career is about 17 years starting with selling digital marketing so i was selling web portals in industry uh way back first thing was selling online marketing in the shipbuilding industry this is back in the time when people are like really come on the internet come on man and so it was quite hard to do um and so i a number of years doing that and then i was i worked my way up sales manager sales director working at a um executive search recruiting company and then pivoted out to be a coach, uh, so training uh, corporate in London in how to sell without being irritating. So a lot of small figure deals all the way up to multiple six figure deals and kind of getting through how to do it properly. Um, and I launched my consultancy a while back doing lots of different types of training and um, very much pivoting towards LinkedIn uh, lately because that's been a, a really interesting place of growth. Um, you asked about Taekwondo. I, I also started Taekwondo when I was 19. So I'm 40 this year, okay? And I was like, when I was 19, I started and I was at uni and I was like, I need something to do. And um, I just did that each week and it stuck. When I went to London, I, I uh, then became a black belt and started uh, teaching one of the academies under my instructor. And then all the way up to 2014, I launched my own. After the 2000s, I was like national and European uh, championships and things like that. And it was going to be my thing, but I felt in the end that it was like, it's not going to be a business. It's going to be just a fun thing to do. And I actually hung it all up in 2018, but that was a fun thing to work on and build up students from zero to black belt in the own. And so really enjoyed all that part of it as well. And that's uh, kept me active throughout, no problem. And, and clearly uh, that wasn't interesting enough because you've left. No, you're back. It's fine. I just stopped my cat from eating the dog food. That's usually a good idea. What? <laughs> so the, the I think one of the things that, that that Travis and I are always so curious about is you know people take you know personal experiences, different life experiences that may have nothing to do with the corporate environment or to mm-hmm. do with sales, and they can apply those learnings you know yeah. from from that personal experience. What were you able to apply from your experience with with Taekwondo and maybe specifically teaching others Taekwondo that you were able to, you know, pull and and maybe leverage as a sales trainer or a coach? You know, it's interesting because there's there's two strands there. And so as a student, and especially in like 2006, 2007, I was going to the Euros and I would sleep at my instructor's house and like train morning and evening. I would be sick when training, like, and he would stack chairs. I would have to kick over them one-on-one sessions, really drilling me. Because if you want to, you've got to bring it. You've got to be able to go through some hard stuff. And and that was interesting because that helped with the sales uh, as as a student of sales as well. Because I'm a big geek for it all. I was really interested in learning, like, neuroscience as well. So it would be interesting to talk about. But I think it was interesting that learning to push yourself beyond just what sits in front of you as comfortable and get really i was learning to get romantic about the really hard work and some of the most amazing moments in work reflect those amazing moments in training where it'd be friday night 
I can see it now. I was, I was like 23 and people would be at the pub and I'm like, just one more call, just one more call. And those hero moments where you convert something. What's interesting in the coaching side, just to kind of give you the balance you've asked for, is that um, really understanding that you need to have empathy for how someone's going to receive you when you're coaching them or when you're training them is really crucial. Everyone has a different state at any one time based on how their day's gone, how they view you and so on. And coaching is down to not always what you're telling them, but how they receive you. And what I'm saying here is, for instance, if I go to a job now where they've seen me on, say, LinkedIn, we watch all your videos, man, and we'd love to get you in. You seem to know your stuff. So let's talk. Could you come and do sales? That tends to be very much a content-led inbound request nowadays rather than me asking if i could teach their teams it's interesting that they receive me in a certain way the training is seen as more effective and i know i'm good at my thing but what's interesting is that they they want to learn from the person they've selected to come in it's not sales training it's sales training with richard moore because they wanted to have me and it's the same when i'm when i was tra training um uh, in taekwondo if you're the black belt instructor you're received in a certain way as opposed to if you're training peers, you know? So, so that kind of frame of how someone perceives you is, is really interesting. And I've always made sure that um, I don't just show up to train on technical things, but also recognize that there's a performance that's required so that people feel like they're, they're, they're kind of, they're learning from, from a real expert that kind of embodies that, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're about that life in short terms. Yeah, it really matters. Yeah, and I think a lot of times that's something that gets forgotten a, a lot when uh, you go through something so different and diverse as Taekwondo training yeah. and not only going through the process of, like you mentioned, going to train while you're sick or training with a strained hamstring or yeah. doing anything while hurt in general, right? It's like when, normal, when, when, when normally if someone's sick, they're just like, oh, I'm going to rest for a little bit and I'll get back to it. But you're over here going through grinding it out while you're sick. And that just takes you to a whole different place mentally that I think enables you to do things that a lot of yeah. other people can't. And look, a lot of people ask, and this is definitely a question for both of you or all of you actually, but a lot of people ask like, where does, and everyone's own de definition of success is different, but where does your success come from? And sure, consistency out outperforms talent and discipline and, and making sure like, for instance, I do a live show every week. And in four weeks' time, it will be four consecutive years of, of live, live streams every Monday. We don't give them up every single week. So consistency matters, but grit to go a little extra and push yourself when you need to really matter. If you look at David Goggins, a famous guy, okay, so like this guy's a US Navy SEAL, I believe. He's famous for saying, when you want to give up, when your brain is saying, I'm done, you're actually about 40% there. And so, so 2007, I ran my first marathon. And 2007 was, um, I think it was the second hottest marathon on record in the UK. So it was my first one and 26 miles is hard enough as it is, but you, what I genuinely wanted to cry because it was like your body's spent. So you have to decide to continue and finish the marathon. You don't do it because you've got the training or got the legs because I wasn't a pro athlete or anything. And so when you hit 22, 23 miles, you have to decide, are you going to continue? And honestly, it was like the dead and dying. Everyone was collapsing everywhere. I remember just, so you've got um, the Mal, which is the last bit by Buckingham Palace, the last 200 yards. But before that, you go around Birdcage, Birdcage Walk and those beautiful areas and, and, and the, uh, the embankment, which is like this last big stretch where you can't hear yourself think because the crowd's going crazy. But just before that is an underpass. And it was like filled with St. John's ambulance looking after people who are passing out and like, Sadly, someone died that year. It was brutal. And it was my first marathon. So I've only done three, but like, it was my first one. And I remember being like, because I was, I've always run them for charities. And it's like, just get some perspective, man. You're a bit tired because you've run a lot in a bit of heat. But think about the people you're trying to raise money for. Just get over yourself. And it's just interesting that if you choose to, you do have another gear. And I think having that all the time, not to show off, but in the like with the taekwondo, like in the quiet moments when no one's watching, you still do it. You know, if, if there's no one here and I've got to do some work, I'm not posting on on Instagram that I'm working late. 
and just doing it because there's, there's a romance behind pushing yourself to the other level. It kind of feels good as well after you've done it to a degree. I think that's interesting because, and as you, you talk about the marathon, you know, doing things that are really, really difficult in life makes sales seem not so difficult, right? Like you, when you put it into perspective, what we're doing, like it's, it's t- like, don't, don't get me wrong. It's tough and it's challenging, but running a marathon in that type of heat is probably a little bit more difficult, right? Yeah. But it sounds like you have a really powerful why in the things that you do. You, you, you quickly mentioned charity. Is that kind of a, like a center for like when you hit goal, when you kind of set out these goals and, and these plans is identifying that important why and that motivation to achieve something, is that a, a, a you know an important component to your planning? It, it's um, it's kind of partly conscious, but it's also uh, something that's kind of groomed into me. There are two really critical moments in my life, and there's always there's often adversity that drives these kind of things. And one was when I was 11, my parents broke up, and it was a horrible divorce, and I didn't see my father for 25 years, literally nothing of him at all. And her way of handling it was to regroup and own it and like we moved house and was like we're we're and the message always for us for us as children i was only 11 but like as we grew up as teenagers i've got two sisters as well was be the best don't let anyone don't be reliant on anyone like success 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 and that came if i look back it, it did come at the expense of emotion and like there wasn't this love and in the in outward sense, of course she loved us and things like that, but she never said, I love you. And there was none of those kind of quiet, gentle moments. It was very much drive you, drive you, drive you. And I loved that about her. And that really was interesting because she groomed us that, that wrongly or rightly, that being successful or being good or being great is what mattered. And so it was a lot of pressure, but the pressure was like, you have to be the best. And it was obviously a defense mechanism to prove that she wouldn't be beaten down by the fact that basically her husband had rejected her. She's utterly my hero. So single mum, part-time jobs, three, three children. So, you know, my sister, my old sister went to Oxford and then, and then we, my other sister and I, we both went to university as well. We really kind of pushed it. And that was, it was very much like going to London. But remember, this is a linear way to, to live back then. It wasn't social media world. It was looking good and being successful really was get a degree from a good university, go to London, wear a suit. Doesn't matter what the job is, just wearing a suit in London was what mattered. So, you know, it's kind of where we were driven. That was the first thing that really grew me through my teens and, and into university. And then um, the other thing that really has driven this why and wanting to give back and, and help, pe- help people a lot was um, in 2010, my mum uh, got cancer, sadly. And so we had about two years, uh, two and a half years of her going through that. And she passed away at the end of 2012. And so I imploded in 2013 because when you're going through pain and that year is a lot more to it, but that year was really bad. Um, when you're going through it, you just have to go through it. Like with the marathon, you just got to do it. You don't think about how hard it is you're doing it. The next year, 2013 was horrible. It was all implosion and all the bad stuff hitting my head and things like that. And so the climb out, this is kind of my therapy, getting me to where I am now and building my new thing and leaving, leaving corporate to build my own world and designing a life that, that meant that if I did, if I had to go the same way she did, which was literally just about to touch retirement and then passing away and not having time with her new grandchildren, like they were born around the same time she passed away. It's like, you've got to make the most of it. And I know that sounds cheesy for many, but like it could be done soon. And so when you're okay, like when you're all right, your family's good, you kind of make enough money, you want to start, you've got to start giving back a bit. And that really fed in, you know, it really fed into when I built, started building these events in 2018. I was, I was, I remember thinking like, it's almost bordering immoral to have this kind of leverage and attention on say LinkedIn, build an event and then put all the cash in your back pocket. It's like, what? that's not cool at all. So so now what we do is they're completely free. So like I'll go wherever I need to go. Like we're completely free, and we and and people donate. And last year it was like five thousand dollars went to local charities helping people on the ground in Ottawa or San Francisco or New York or Melbourne or Barcelona, wherever we went. So we're doing like two a month before the lockdown. Um, and all that's driven by like you know 
that the fact that my mum went through a lot of shit, but she had all these charities and things helping us and like supporting us and and she only was giving and uh, that was really that's really important. So it's kind of a giving thing. But I learned one thing I, I, I often say, I said it to my children a couple of days ago, the, the thing that stands out about her the most is at least to us, she never complained. I bet she complained a lot. There's some bad shit happening there. Oh, sorry, some bad stuff happening in her life. But, but like to not complain outwardly sets you in, a, in this space where you don't waste time on negative stuff. You focus on what you can do. And, um, and you get immense returns from doing good like that. And it's not that I'm doing it so that I can get returns, but it's, it's nice to get interesting other things instead. So uh, just, just to finish as an example, this came in the post today. Um, this was from a woman called Heather Parody, who runs her own podcast as well, you may have heard of her. And she hosted, um, uh, so I, I'm set, I set up as an ambassador, she hosted uh, the events uh, Entrepreneur Business Live over in Atlanta earlier this year. And, you know, she's written like a card saying thank you. And this is really amazing what you did. And we raised money for this local charity that I'm aligned with. And, you know, she wrote in there things like, what was it? Um, grateful for your voice on the online space. And it's just like, it's, a, it's good to give back a bit. And this all stems from those little things. So my why is very entrenched, but I totally see where you're coming from. It's, it's also a conscious, like, like, why am I doing this as well? And Weird, really, it's kind of easier to have a why when you've got children. I've got a five and a seven-year-old. Those, so I, when I've got a mum with two, which who had two daughters. Now I've got two daughters of my own. So I really want to be in that inspiration for them as well. And that's an that's just a natural thing when you have kids. I think. Uh, first, uh, your mom sounds like she was an incredible, incredible woman. And like, it's thank you so much girl. for sharing that. Uh, because that's one of the the pieces that doesn't get talked about on LinkedIn, right? Like my mom was there to make sure that I wasn't coddled and babied, but that I was pushed and I was driven to become more than the circumstances that I was growing up in, right? So like she, she did things for you that I think if a lot of, if you kind of remove this, this, the factor of like, obviously her being your mother, but it's like yeah. having that ride or die next to you that is just wants you to be the best no matter what mm-hmm. and not complaining a second of the day. That's something that like, if you think about from like a leadership perspective, right? Yeah. Like imagine if you had a leader in your company or your organization that was just like your mom was to you throughout your life. Like that's it. That I, is... I agree. I, th- I think I'm very blessed with it, but I, and I think uh, sadly it's because of circumstance. But but the truth is that it's it's like she was so stoic, and I think that that's the thing that I've I've been always able to hold my breath and go through pain in order to get something better later on. But like she comes from from further up the chain, like you know your parents mould you, and um, if she has a hero. And partly mine as well is my grandfather. And um, so I helped write his memoirs with my mum. He would have been 100 this year. So he was at Dunkirk. He was being bombed on the beaches. He was also on the Normandy, you know, Saving Private Ryan, storming the beaches. He was there as well. The dude was like 23 or something like that. And I'm I'm like, how do you even do that kind of thing? So he didn't talk much about what, but like the stories when he was older, the stories about, because it wasn't just, Oh, I was at Dunkirk. He had to fight to get there as well. The guy was like being shelled and shot at and stuff. He had to fight his way through Northern France to get to the beaches and then doing the Normandy thing as well. It's like, how the hell can we complain about anything? And there's people like, like my life's over. The algorithm on LinkedIn just sucks right now. I'm like, wow. Unbelievable. I know it's an extreme (laughs) perspective, but you know, it's stuff like that. It's like, we have, we uh, couldn't be easier. Life couldn't be easier right now. But you want to kind of give the next level to the children, like the next level to the people you can help and, and hope they do even more. Um, so it's kind of a nice thing. And this, I'm really glad you asked about the why, uh, because I think it's crucial to always have in the back of your mind, like imagine, imagine these people are watching you. Imagine my granddad and mum were in the room whilst I'm working. Imagine I'm on YouTube. Like they'd be like, "What the hell is, is this? What we is this? What we did? Like this is it? Is it? This is where we're at? 
or would they be like, wow, like good on you, man, for like taking it to the next level? And, and it sounds weird and strange in my head, but I have that kind of vibe all the time. Uh, I, ha I have that kind of around me. I'm interested in what, what drives you to though. Yeah, but you know what though, just to touch on that a bit further, I think it's an interesting perspective because I know for me personally, I probably don't do enough reflection of, of that, you know, like to that magnitude or to that level, right? Um, but, you know, a mentor of mine has always said like legacy over resume, right? Like, and, and, it, and it is this concept of, it, it doesn't matter about the job title, the company, like, like all that stuff is just completely meaningless. It's about, you know, like paying it forward, doing good work, giving back. And so I, I think if, if there's, it's kind of a mantra I, I do think about is like, what, what's the legacy I'm going to kind of leave behind. And it's a cool, it's a cool exercise. I never thought about that, but it's like, if, if my mom sat and watched me work for a day, like, would she be like, we're so proud of you or she'd be like really like this is what you do like <laughs> but that that there's a way of doing it i go even i actually don't do it so much with my mom and my granddad i have this idea i talked about it recently with someone this idea of a future and a past self because you can simulate the future and you know yourself so well so your past self like myself in 2016 2017 if you were sitting right here right now he'd be like I was like bleeding through my eyeballs to get you here and what are you doing now? But also remember there's a future self, there's an ideal or a kind of a utopia of you at say 45 or 50, not a million years in the, in the future, but that person can't exist unless you do certain things now. It sounds really weird, but like I often have the older me as well as the, the past me. So the past me going like, look what I've gone through to get you here, but the older me saying, I can't exist yet, man, unless you, unless you get on it. So it's, it's kind of a really good way of driving me. And I, I, I don't know if, <laughs> if my mind is all gone a bit weird, but it's a good way of kind of, uh, you know, you listen to yourself, don't you? So uh, sometimes you don't respect or listen to other people as much. You listen to yourself. I think that's cool. And a, and a piece of advice that I was given to, to kind of jumpstart that, that thought process was, you know, and again, whatever the time frame may be, but it's like, if you're going to have, if you had lunch with yourself, you know, one year from now, and they look back on 2020, what would you say you're proud of? You know, like that kind of, and, you know, and starting to think a little bit. So I, I appreciate that. Um, but I know, I know Travis has a lot of, a lot of questions here. <laughs> yeah, no. So I definitely have a lot of thoughts. I think so back up real quick the the thing that drives me is curiosity mm. and so by being i'm a, i'd say i'm addicted to cu being curious like if i'm going to a situation and i'm not curious about it like i don't want to go like i'm I don't, i'm not engaged right so um for me curiosity is definitely my driver i really love what you said about the legacy over resource kevin yeah. or, excuse me legacy over resume and i think that's something that gets it doesn't get talked about in the space that we all operate in. Like nobody said no salesperson ever like, Oh, I'm worried about the company that I'm at right now yeah. and the name that it is bringing to my resume. So that way I, I can get that next job. Like, they're, like they're not actively saying these things out loud, but it's like, well, no, this is how you're behaving. You're like, Oh, mm -hmm. if I get Salesforce on my resume, I'll be able to go get any sales job anywhere. Or if I get a series C company, on my resume and I help them go from zero to 50 million in revenue. Like that's the thing. And it's like, but we're in a space that's like technology driven. Like, are, is your legacy going to be cool? Is that something that you want to be telling your grandchildren? Right. And, and I, yeah. I, I think one, one point here is that, is that it's also uh, a cultural thing, like on a, on a superfluous level now, it's stuff like, start a business and call yourself a ceo kind of thing like like it's devaluing this kind of stuff we can't we can't scream look at me look at me look at me and pretending you're a ceo ceo suggests you've got a c-suite board of directors around you and you are operating a you know a fairly big company a any ceo who's also doing literally every other job is not really a ceo it's like and so you know it's like wearing a fake rolex people might even be quite impressed and Deep down, you know, it's a fake Rolex and, and you might be able to pretend right now because it feels like you're legit. But when you're 94, you're probably going to regret that you were pretending because you can do the real thing. 
but you do have to put the work in and not just for five minutes but like for years and you get out what you put in I, I what i do love is that this kind of world although there is a lot of superficiality and people can look good superficially uh it is a real meritocracy it's like you get out what you put in you if you deserve to get a certain level of success you tend to be able to get it and it's just you've got to work yeah and i love it i i i think i learned that kind of the, the hard way like coming up in sales young like there there was definitely those things you did like you made a dumb purchase right or, or something that you like and again like it's it's this short-lived superficial like it's meaningless like it might make you feel good for for a few months or a week or or a day or something like it again it's like kind of like like the job title example you mentioned right you hear a lot of um i've been in the company for a year um i want to i want a better job title i was like well if it if it doesn't mean anything then it's just going to make you feel good for a day and then it's going to fizzle out so i think thinking about those those uh the things that you do and especially, especially professionally, because I think personal and professional lives are, are blending more and more. But I think the things that you're doing professionally that have a lasting impact that you're actually passionate about and actually make you feel good, those are the things that are going to kind of drive your, your career forward versus the, you know, I want to work at this company for that logo. Yeah, it's, it's this thing of like, if you, if you call yourself the king or queen, then, then it's not quite as effective as if, as if the other, as if the masses call you the king because you earn it. And doing I was this, born like this, though. So, <laughs> what do you do for me? He's <laughs> <laughs> there already. He's there already. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, it's interesting because if if you if you do say to yourself like, what's going to map to people legitimately saying, "Wow, that's a really decent thing you've done," and if I can do that consistently and consistently and with frequency. I moved to a place where you come up in conversations. You come up in conversations where you're not in that conversation. They're talk, you know, there's posts and, oh, there's this guy you should check out. There's this guy called Travis now. And like, his thing's amazing. And, and it's like propagating because you've earned it because you're doing something bigger than saying, by the way, don't forget me, which uh, it, it, doing something a bit more expansive makes more sense, in my opinion. I think don't, that's but don't you think point. though, just on that, don't you think though, that maybe that also scares people because they think, well, I need to do something that's noble. So I will stay in paralysis and not execute. I will not do something yet. I wonder, I need to find out, for instance, like, I need to find out what, what my why is. It's a really good point there, Kevin. Like, like, and I don't know what my why is. So I won't do anything yet and I'll try and work it out. And the truth is your why is either forced on you or you tend to evolve into understanding what your why is at a later date, having been on the pitch for a while. That's huge. And I think the other, uh, the thing that doesn't get talked about a lot is the state of where a lot of people are at their careers that might be listening to this show, whether it be sales, marketing, leadership, a lot of people aren't self-aware. That's just straight facts. And being able to build experiences and a on-ramp, for lack of better words, to your future self's growth, like, that's not easy, right? Like no, no one said, hey, Trav, go get those books behind you and like yeah. this is going to help you grow. And same thing yeah. to you. Like you turn around, you're like, oh, no one told me exactly what to be doing. And I kind of stumbled into the growth and the success that I have. But being self-aware is like really, really hard. And I'd say like one of the things even personally that's helped me, like I went back through notes that I took from like 2016, 2014 right. the other night. I was like, holy shit. Like you uh, thought uh, like this way back then too. Yeah. And like you can see that it's like, all right, I'm 24 years old, don't really know what I'm doing with my life or my career. And I got to figure out something. So what do you do? You go read personal development. You go, uh, try to work on your, your fitness. You go try to learn from other people who are at places that you want to get to. And, and I think that like journey of self-discovery is a huge area of opportunity for organizations specifically because the people that struggle the most, at least that I've found, and I'd love both of your takes on this, but the people that struggle the most are often in these like higher turnover, higher stress jobs because they don't have time to focus outside of work on themselves because they're too busy trying to make your company money that you're driving them into the ground and you're not really doing things that fulfill them as humans. 
And yeah, that's just a whole other area that I'm like, no, companies are right. uniquely positioned right, to though. solve this you're, problem. You're right, man. Like, like the last year of my corporate job where I was compensating for being desperately upset because <laughs> I had a lot of bad things happen the, the previous year um, with work. So I would do 80, some, like 60, sometimes 80 hour weeks. I would call to my wife and go, getting a hotel, I'm just going to say and throw work at the, at the problem. What happened was that overcompensation meant that I didn't have time. You're right. I had no bandwidth for anything but work. And I wasn't performing as well as I might because I was a mess. And so it's interesting because um, I remember in 2014, you know, I started my own Taekwondo academies and I was also doing dabbling in a bit of consulting as well, which is crazy. It was only six years ago, but it was interesting that I remember having some free time each day that I built in because I was seeing a therapist at the time and they were like, you know, have a bit of time for yourself, man. It's kind of okay. The guilt was insane because <laughs> I thought I should be worth, honestly, like I should be at my a computer at nine o'clock. What am I, I felt I was racked with it. But what's interesting is that um, give myself a bit of space. It's like, wow, I, I actually have creative thoughts. There's this free thinking part of my brain that had to, it was like this weak little muscle that had to be built up again. It's, it's a really interesting point you made because it, it actually with, with, with space and time, you can, act, it just, you can really kind of stretch those muscles, I think, because there's a bit of neuroplasticity involved, I suppose. But what's interesting there is that um, I, I do feel that self-awareness tends to not develop in times of comfort. I think, think it tends to develop a bit more when you're under, to a degree, certain stuff types of, not, not stress, but like things that are stretching you and, and testing you and, and the unknown and things like that. So I'm, it's interesting because there's, there's, there's good and bad stress, isn't there? There's ones where you're putting yourself under, uh, you're in consciously saying, I'm going to go to this place and learn these things and put myself through, like the marathon, for instance. I learned a lot about, there's a lot of self-awareness came out of that because I learned what my limits were like but it wasn't a place of comfort um, and sitting in an armchair wondering through conjecture what self-awareness might might represent in your world. It, it's not going to be as effective as, as going there and trying it, I suppose. Do, do you think that people aren't really willing to get into those uncomfortable stages, right? Because like, I, I agree with you 100%. Like anything, any element of growth, personal, professional, physically, mentally, it's not going to be easy. Like it's going to hurt. Right. And I think it's about, and again, I, I fall back to the why a lot where it's where I think to myself, what do I, what's important to me? What do I want to accomplish? And is the pain worth the why? Right. And I don't, I, I think it's just an interesting, interesting topic where it's like, what, like what, what kind of shit are you willing to put up with to hit that end goal? Or what kind of pain are you willing to go through to, you know, hit that end goal? Yeah. I, I think that's an important thing to really think about when, when, setting goals or, or thinking about what you want to achieve. But it's hard because I was just going to say it's hard. The, the, the reason why it's hard is there's two things to, to think about here. The person you are now is not the person like you, as you are, like all of us, we will not be the person that gets the success we want. We aren't going to get the success we want. A different person is going to get that success. We have to, become that person so the person i am now richard today 25th june 2020 cannot be a person who operates at a different level because i have to grow to become that person this is as good as it gets for the current me to be the person who goes even higher i have to break myself down maybe have extra coaching on something i have to introduce new stimulus or, or or have new perspective put on me and put myself in new new positions so it's hard because it's incongruent with who i am now right the person i will be who takes that stuff in his stride it's the same as walking for a baby it's like i can't walk that's not gonna me as i who i am cannot walk the person i would need to become to be able to walk can walk but i have to grow into that so it's hard that's why first step is tough but here's what my my feeling is on this kind of stuff it's hard because it's hard sure but it's also this is all about habit and people say things like oh wow man you're so amazing you're so consistent that's a habit 
and people look up to those who work hard or get crazy productivity out of their day. There's all, there's all these celebrity business people who are amazingly productive. They aren't like that in their natural state. We're all animals who want to be lazy and, and like save our energy for, you know, for, for survival. But the truth yeah, is- Yeah, I love taking naps. But, you know, exactly, I, I do too, it's good fun. <laughs> I'm hardwired to enjoy it and it's good for me. <laughs> But I do think that those that are hyper-productive and do lots of things are used to doing that. And so when you, if you work on habit building with little milestones and objectives towards goals, this is the, the key part, then you end up in a place where you are naturalized to it. So for instance, every day I get up at six and it is zero difficulty to go, like when the alarm goes, it doesn't make it past the first beep. Off, bed open, go downstairs yoga 20 minutes water write my report for what i'm going to do today breakfast like this stuff is easy it is immensely difficult when i started doing it but now it's just what i do every day oh wow you're so amazing you run marathons look you're doing all this training you're doing 10 miles after work yeah it is hard but when you do lots of it all the time it becomes something you get used to doing it's the same with everything isn't it i don't want to simplify but it kind of is like that i believe I, I think, but but to that point, I, I think people people sometimes build it up to be bigger than it is. And I think if you do simplify things and you just say, you know what, I just need to make progress towards habit building. Yeah. And I, and I think where, you know, and again, if it's a marathon, you're not going to say, you know what, I'm going to run 20 miles today when you have not ran a mile in the last two months, right? It, it's It's building up. But I think... You know, uh, you know. I, again, I, I have a friend that I've worked, I've, I've had a, numerous conversations about this, and and I was sort of making this transition as work was getting crazier and busier, starting a family, and it was like the gym and fitness was was such a big part of my life. But I was like, I I'm not going to do it after work. You know, like come home from New York City, I'm not going to be doing this at at eight nine o'clock at night. So we talked about how to build good habits to to build it into my morning routine. And to me, it becomes, it's the same exact thing. It's very, very normal and, and consistent. People think I'm absolutely crazy, but it, it, it's just Including a habit me. building. And, <laughs> and, his, and he just goes, he goes, your alarm goes off. He goes, don't think, just move. Yeah. Don't think, just move. Ah, Kevin, your microphone. If you, if you put any time in, then of course you end up with the rational part of your brain going, well, let hang on. If I, if I was to stay in bed, that would be quite nice, wouldn't it? And it's warm in here and I don't have to do stuff and I can delay and make excuses. If you, like, action is the way to starve fear and worry and overthinking, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and I was just going to add one thing about, um, Kevin, you mentioned, uh, like, the me, what am I looking to accomplish and the, is the pain worth it? Like, just speaking from my own personal experience of just, like, weights in general, like there's something about like I remember hitting 315 on the bench, and this is sorry I'm gonna sound like a meathead to people, but it is <laughs> what it is. But like when I hit 315 on the bench and crossed 400 on the squat rack, like those are things that in my head I'm like, yo, like you're a buck 65 and you put up 315, and you're a buck 65 and you squatted over 500 pounds. Like I'm not competing with the linemen, I'm not competing with the receivers. I'm competing with the previous version of myself that put up that weight. And did I put up three reps of 315 or did I get to five? Mm. Right. And at what rate did I do that at? Like, was I 165 at 315 or was I at 200 at 315? Right. Mm. And so when you set those goals for yourself and like internally, like, bro, I was hype when I hit those numbers. Right. But I also guarantee, I guarantee though for you, right you knew how badly it was going to hurt to make those things happen. And you chased the pain you like you did, you worked out until you felt that pain where other people, things get a little uncomfortable. Things start to hurt a little bit. And then it's like, bang, back to my comfort zone. I'm going to go take a nap. Right. Yeah. So you, you I, I think again, like anything, whether, and, and I, the coolest thing about this episode is we have not really talked about sales, but this is all, sales what? this is what, it, what is sales? This is all, so relevant in people's day-to-day of how they attack their day and how they accomplish it it's little by little and it's incremental and that's the thing and and the big the big hit is really painful so you don't do it and a lot of people are like oh how do i attack this problem in sales it's really hard and 
I have to get a sale this week. It's like, well, hang on. And it's exactly the same. If you've never sold a thing before, you should be, your objective shouldn't be try and get a sale. Your objective should be pick the phone up and remember your name when you answer it, when they answer it. It's like the little things first. <laughs> I, I remember, this is true. I remember coaching a guy who was scared. He'd learned to be, he taught himself to be scared of calling the UK. It was like, they, they can see right through me, man. Like, they, I hate it. They like, they call BS on what I'm doing. I'm like, wow, we need to work on technique here. But he just flat out wouldn't do it. And I said, so here's your objective for the next week. You have to dial a UK number 10 times in a day. And that's it. That is the target. That's your objective. Anything beyond that is a win. That's a bonus. Okay. That's like saying, I've never been to the gym before. First thing I'm going to go and do is try and squat. What was it? 315 you did? I'm like them. First thing I want to do is go and squat 316. Okay. And like, that's going to be what I do first. So I'm going to beat Travis on my first time ever. The first thing you should do is go to the gym. Just show up to the place. If you are in comfort zone city, well, they get used to showing up to it and incremental. And so, but with this guy, it was amazing. He was like, man, I'm so annoyed. Because I remember I caught up with him the following week. He's like, I did what you said. So each day, my objective, and I did it. I didn't like chicken out. I did 10 dials a day. And really annoyingly, like three of them like would pick up and then one would put me through. And he said, and I got, I got like, I've got a proposal out for a deal with the UK. And I was like, here we are. That happened just by accident that pushed you. And he's like, so I said, so next week, it's not 10 dollars a day. It's, you know, speak to 10 people a day and, and see where that takes just bit by bit makes sense. And, and what happens is you naturalize and recalibrate to that level. And like 315 becomes your new zero, right? And then it's like, what's the next number I'm fighting against? So quick question for you. When, and this may be for you to reflect on either personally or, or how you even maybe coach people towards this. How do you stay patient with achieving your goals? That's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like so impatient. I want to be here now, uh, but I recognize that there's a process. I mean, you... It's really cute at the moment and kind of, um, uh, it's like Duraguer to say, oh, you should love the process, man. And, and we don't want that to be letting us off the hook so that we're not chasing and actually hitting a goal. Um, I think what you need to do is recognize that there are wins along the way. It's not where you are now and a goal. There's where you are now, sure there's a goal, but there's objectives. And so you can, so patience is coupled with wins along the way because patience is cool, but you need the kind of the, the sense of progress. If I have too high a target or too big a goal, there's too long a period without uh, a signifier of success. And so what helps with, with dealing with the patients is wins along the way. Well done, you're doing it. Good effort today, you made another, another 3,000 quid. That really helped you getting along the right. So that drives and that, for want of a better phrase, passes the time. Uh, and so wins along the way um, help you deal with it. But I think this is an interesting conversation because people say that being competitive can be really toxic and being comparative can be toxic. I mean, um, you know, you look at other people around you, but as, as a very competitive person, I, I find it interesting to observe how people are doing and have just apply a bit of context and say, they've probably been at this for some time. So they're probably kind of good at it. Still let it, let me, let it drive me. Let me recognize that I'll probably need the patience to get to their level, but there's nothing wrong with trying to want to want to beat them and get go higher. And, and I remember my first ever day of work. I was like, I was showing the leaderboard. I was like, I want the guy, I want the guy at the top. How do I beat the guy at the top? And like, it's going to take you a while. I was like, fine, but that's what I'm here for. You know? So it's, it's and I was like, but, but to get there, like, who am I, who am I going to overtake first? Who's the first run of the ladder? And kind of how do I build progress in, um, there's no real straightforward answer, is there? You've got to kind of get used to enjoying the process. And I think that the process is tough and makes you bleed all the time. Well, then you can enjoy it by having some positive moments, some little things where you're like, do you know what? That was a good, solid day. I put a shift in and I got a result. And that's me on track uh, for another day. Man, you, you, you just hit on a couple of things I want to touch on real quick before we wrap up here. But um, one of the things that, that got me thinking about was like in high school, I'm going back throwback days for people. But in high school, I jumped with one of the best long jumpers in the world. Right. And I remember, like, being around each other and pushing each other to get better and go farther. When you're, like, you know, the top two in the state, 
right? And you show up and people think you're already going to win. It's like, well, what? That's like the same thing with sales reps. It's like, oh, I already know you're going to be number one next quarter. Right. Or, and it's like, well, the difference between the ones that are really at that elite level and the ones that kind of like flutter around like mediocrity, it's that like, I'm not even trying to beat the guy who's at the top with me. We're trying to make each other better up here to then go further and push the distances further. Right. Yeah. So may, it, maybe he's jumping 47 feet and I was jumping 46 and a half feet. And he tells me one thing that gets me to jump 48 feet. Yeah. And I tell him one thing that gets him to jump 50 feet. Yeah. And yes, he beat me, but like we both push each other. And by only focusing on how we grow and how we develop as like, you know, elite athletes or elite triple jumpers in this example, like that's how we got to the next levels. It was never about like to your competitive comparative point. It was never like, oh, like Marquise, like he jumped 47 and I want to be number one at counties. It's like if he jumped 47 to one counties, then we both have like a problem. But like yeah. that was a thing. Yeah. Right. But like it, we were focused on pushing each other to a higher level. And if you can create a culture on your team mm -hmm. where you are having your number ones and number twos just lift everybody else up. Absolutely. That's how you build a winning organization. Like that's yeah. how you build a team that will grow and drive consistent growth over time, both personally for your, your team members and professionally in in business results so just want to kind of share that that's quick why story. you've got to be around you've got to be around winners in make and whenever i would put a new starter or someone doing okay or even someone underperforming next to a top performer that would just rub off on them like if i like if you watch the last dance you've even seen it like everyone's game was up because they had people like michael jordan on their team it just makes a big difference if i played basketball on the balls, apart from being shouted at in like 87 or, or like 92 or whatever, apart from no, 96, if I was being shouted at, fine. But if I played with them enough, like if some weird, for some reason I couldn't be taken off the team, I'd be all right after a while. <laughs> you know, I would look tiny, I'm only six foot one, which makes me like this minnow by comparison. But like, I would be half decent. I would, I would if I had no training, like I would be a broken man by the end of the first, first game. But after time, it would be like I could, I, I probably wouldn't hold my own, but I would be so good compared with the average person. And it's like being around winners is really what matters. And that's all the thing is like, I only want to sit next to the top people. And I remember like my sec, uh, third manager I had, I remember because he was the best closer in the whole of our, on the whole of our sales floor, but he was a monster. He was like, you do anything wrong, he will break your legs. It was very hard culture back then. And, um, but I remember saying to him, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I want to sit next to you. And I remember saying, I want you to tell me if I'm breathing wrong. And I remember so well, because this shows my age now, our, our deals would come through through a fax machine. Oh, <laughs> I remember once, like, oh man. Love those days. Love so, those days. I, I remember this fax coming through. So I closed a deal, like the guy had made a load of override on me. I remember him screaming at me about how I'd screwed something up. I was like, Hello, but it was it was so like abusive at times. But it didn't. I, I made so much. I learned like the stuff I have today is built on the kind of things that he pushed me. Like we were always the best. We were always the leading ones. We always like as a group we would go. We would win the incentive together. We're like the whole of our team would just win and win and win because he because you were around winners. It made and anyone came in. They suddenly were really good. It just was, it's a really interesting thing. Just hang out with winners, it rubs off for you. So oh, we man. should go to the gym, right, Travis? And because I don't know what I could bench, probably a pencil at the moment, but uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll be up there. It might be I could only do 150, but I could do 150 well. Yeah, no, if your form's great, like it's, that's all <laughs> what counts, right? Like if you're getting, and this is the thing that you mentioned about stress and tension. Like I would explain to people, like I would do 15 minute workouts, and people yeah. would be like, well, but, but what, you only worked out for 15 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, the tension and the stress that I put my chest through in that 15 minutes only needed to be 30 seconds of total activated time using oh, yeah. a weight. So 
yeah, I worked out for 15 minutes. Uh, and the majority of that was rest periods. And I only worked out for like 15 total seconds. Yeah. And like, when you try to explain that to people, they're like, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, but your, your, your 15 minutes was more, more effective than their, their two hours. Right. And I think that's another thing that people need to start, you know, or if you can figure out is how do you just, how do you work smarter? How to become more effective? Do the things that actually drive you forward towards your goal and just say no to the rest. Pareto yeah. efficiency all the way. Do that. Do the things that make the biggest impact. Don't do the things that don't. Because you can, you can look busy all day long, but, you know, it's classically 80% of your stuff will only do 20% of the output. You've got to do the things that will give you the biggest impact and the rest try and automate or outsource if you're running a business. That's facts. Impact over activity, y'all. So, Richard, is there anything else you'd want to leave listeners with? I honestly feel like I don't know where else you could add more value, but like, <laughs> I'll give you a try. Uh, yeah, it's been really fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that there's a lot of value in making sure you're around winners. I think that's one of the big things that come out of this. And if you want to be around, if you want to build up your sales or be better as a leader or whatever, there's so much power in getting someone to coach you or, or even just to speak to someone who knows what they're doing. When I started my business, I, I got in touch with people who were like self-made millionaires who I luckily had a couple of family friends who like came from zero and made it like to a really wonderful place and pick their brains. And that, and that requires humility when you're a grown up. It's hard to put aside the ego, but you have to choose. Do you want do you want the, the long-term pain of kind of not really getting anywhere or the short-term pain of like less pride and speaking to someone, but the out, the outcome's far better. So get around people who are way above you and specifically listen only to and act upon the advice of those who have really made it with demonstrable evidence of success. Everyone's an expert. Everyone wants to help. Everyone has ideas and advice, but it's the ones who've actually done it that you should be listening to. It's uh it's amazing how people have something to say, something they've read in the book, but it's the ones who've actually been there that are worth listening to. That's facts. That's big facts. Anything you want to you want to add, Kev? Well, no, I think that's a, that's a good way. That's a good way to to, to close it out. Yeah, I would say this has been a super fascinating, interesting episode of Addicted to Growth. And Richard, for people who want to connect with you and stay tuned into all that you are up to in the UK and beyond, where can they find you? Uh, actually, if you go to therichardmore.com, which sounds like a full of arrogance, it's just because richardmore.com was taken. Uh, I tried buying it, he wouldn't have it. So therichardmore.com. Uh, that's on the homepage. You can see all of my channels or I'm mostly on LinkedIn. So linkedin.com slash in slash Richard James Moore, all one word. And, uh, I'd love to connect, uh, and, um, yeah, speak more to the kind of people who listen to this. Love it. Thanks again, Richard, for hopping on. Thank you guys you. heard it. Really enjoyed it. Of course. And, uh, go check him out. The Richard Moore.com also LinkedIn backslash in slash Richard James Moore. So um, this has been a great one and, and we can't wait to have you on for round two. I feel like we're going to start oh, no. making this more of a consistent thing. Like the conversations every week, every week I'll be on. Uh, habits. Okay. Yo, habits. Habits. I'm over here stretching. I'm like, you might, you might bring out a new product or a new, uh, a new sort of live series out of this. He said every week he's been doing this for four years, almost right. Yeah, that's why I've done the live every week. That's right. Uh, Matt, look, thank you so much, both of you. I really enjoyed myself. And yeah, I'd love to come back one time. Love it. Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learn something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice. Day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time.